As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks for joining me and hanging out for a little bit here to go over the Bills' very frustrating loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers by a score of 27 to 15. The score not exactly indicative of really the lack of efficiency that both the first team offense and the first team defense played with. And they didn't get those two scores until later in the game when their third unit was in there. So not a lot to write home about for this one. And this could have been the dress rehearsal. It could have been the one where we only see Josh Allen once in the preseason. Maybe they shut him down for the Bears game next week. Maybe not now because of all of this inefficiency that we're talking about. But it very well could have been the only time we see these guys in a game setting before the Bills And their regular season begins on September 11th, Monday Night Football against the New York Jets. A lot of interesting little details to the game. Like There's so many ways to to look at it. You can look at it from a player performance point, which which we're going to do really quickly here. Also, we talked a lot last week about utilization and why it's important. And what you can tell based off the team's actions to help signify what they are thinking as the regular season draws near. And it's even more important in a game like that when they have all of their players outside of Dawson Knox who didn't play because of a finger injury. It's a big piece of the puzzle. So we have plenty to dive into. But where I wanted to start first is with the offensive tackle position. And I know this has got a lot of people hot right now. And by and large, there are some pieces of the of analysis where it's just too large to ignore. And I think offensive tackle is fitting under the under that category. As of right now, the Bills overall 
lack of convincing starting options and worthwhile depth is by leaps and bounds their most prominent weakness on the 2023 roster at this point. And it's not as though this is something that is new to the Bills. They went into the offseason. They effectively chose to go by way of the path of development. They also mostly ignored the depth of the position because, I don't know, they wanted to give their young starter the runway to success rather than looking over his shoulder. And to which point it has left them pretty thin. And there's some things that were out of their control, but we'll just go right through it. It begins at the top, and that's with left tackle Deion Dawkins. And he is the least of their concerns from an offensive tackle perspective. But also, it's a sneaky thing to keep track of throughout the regular season. There are a few reps in this game against the Steelers. And by the way, the Steelers have a really good defensive line. But there were a few reps in that game where the speed just got to him. And they were able to get around him and into the pocket. There was one play in particular where Dalton Kincaid even threw a little little block before he went off on his route to kind of push the, the edge rusher out wide. Dawkins, even with the help, was slow to get to the spot and it allowed the the edge rusher to turn the corner a little bit and affect the play. There's another one that he got beat for a sack, took a penalty. So it wasn't a perfect day for Dawkins. And it's notable because he took a micro step back. In 2022, in my opinion. And I don't know if it was... And this whole offseason, I didn't know if it was a sign of things to come. Like, maybe we've already seen the best of Deion Dawkins at this point. Back in 2019 through 2021. Like, maybe those were his three best seasons. But... Because it was just a, in my mind, a minor step back last year. Like he went from a good player to an above average player, in my estimation, based on what I what I saw from the film all last season. Still very much a, a guy that you would start without any doubt, based on what we saw in 2022. But why it's such a sneaky, important thing to track is because if he is that guy that he was last year, or maybe even he takes another step backward to average, then you need to start potentially having a conversation. Dawkins is 29. I believe he turns 30 in April. His cap hit in 2024 
is over $15 million. The Bills are hurting for cap space most times, especially with guys that they need to resign. And Dawkins maybe maybe he's someone you consider moving on from a year early if things go really bad. Now that's why it's like you don't want to go overboard with a preseason game, but these are the types of things off in the distance that you need to think about. I always had in 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 my mind as 2022 was going on, it's like, okay, well, if he continues this, then maybe his future is eventually a slide inside. And that's how he continues along on his Bills career. Because one of the most popular Bills players by all by all accounts, one of um one of the guys in the locker room that that people just love, one of their first draft picks under the McDermott era, like that that all checks out. But you also have to bring the game along with it. And it was not, for me, not an impressive beginning to his 2023 season. And he can iron things out by, by, by all means, but not exactly what you want to see from your most locked-in offensive tackle, the one that you are trusting to play a very big role for what you need to do this season. But he's in no jeopardy of, of losing a job because the Bills just don't have anybody. It's it's that simple. They do not have anyone to push them. And this is this is what it was last year on the interior. I mean, this is what it was all last year for the entire offensive line. They just didn't have anyone that was going to push any of their starting five for a starting job. So they need Dawkins to to bounce back. Otherwise, this is a continuing kind of conversation. And if just to kind of put a bow on why they need to monitor this to make sure it doesn't dip into average or below average play, because they could save nearly $8 million on the cap next year by moving on. So sneaky thing here to, to monitor, but that was not a, a good start for Dawkins. And I also thought it was kind of meaningful that after both Mitch Morse and Connor McGovern came out of the game with Josh Allen. Once Josh Allen's day was done, only two offensive linemen came out, McGovern and Morse. Dawkins stayed on the field, which means the Bills thought he needed more work. It was only Dawkins, Spencer Brown, and Osiris Torrance. And maybe that plays into the depth part of it, but I think they think he needed another series. So sneaky thing to keep an eye on. Didn't mean to spend that much time on Deion Dawkins, but it's just like a, it's just an interesting thing to think about when they're approaching the start of the season. Right tackle, Spencer Brown. It doesn't seem like this summer it has clicked in the way that maybe they would have wanted it to, but by this point, their idea of who's going to be the starting right tackle ended the minute that they didn't really make a move for anybody worthwhile, whether it was in the draft or free agency. They chose to 
shore up the interior. They have a lot of depth there now. They're in a great spot with the interior line. But a tackle, one of the toughest, if not the toughest position to find talent at. Which is why I think the Bills are continuing to see if Spencer Brown can figure this thing out. Because if they if he does, then they've got one of those two spots locked, locked in for the long term. But it, it is not trending in that direction based on what we've seen so far this summer. And it, it could click in once the regular season, just like with Dawkins. Like maybe maybe what we saw against the Steelers was a mirage. Maybe last year was just, you know, maybe last year was just a minor blip and, and it goes back to the norm from where it was from 2019 to 2021. Maybe Spencer Brown does take a step forward. But it just, the way when you watch him outside of the penalties, because he took a couple, when you watch him pass block, it almost feels like he's like thinking through the rep. And perhaps it's like slowing down his reactions. Like he's not as quick to counter as it would be if it was just like snap, snap, snap on it. And that's a concern because the minute you hesitate is the moment that you open yourself up to a counter move. And we see that a bunch with Spencer Brown. He's super athletic and he has everything he, he has everything you could want. The length, he has the the height, he has some power to him. He can move, can get out in front of people. But when it comes down to it, if he's pass blocking, and you're going out wide, and he juts himself all the way and is slow to slow to punch. And by that point, he's already flat-footed on his kick slide to the outside, and then the defender does a counter move and goes inside. And that's a very clear path to to the quarterback. That to me is why it's a concern and why they need to be mindful of potentially backfilling this position because right now they have nobody to push Spencer Brown. And if it continues, then this, this can, this is the type of position that can undo a season if you're not careful. So I think the time to strike for somebody could be now. Because when you look past what they have as their starters, they're locked in starters with Dawkins and Brown, not really all that inspiring. Brandon Shell retired. And with how he played against the Colts, he looked like he was in pretty good position to make the team. And I didn't feel that way before the Colts game. After the Colts game, I'm like, wow, he, he had a nice day. Retires. He's gone. Out of the picture. Tommy Doyle coming back from a torn ACL, a late September torn ACL, was not and really, really struggled in training camp as he was trying to get back in the swing of things. Winds up in an air cast after the Steelers or in the Steelers game. You feel for the guy because that's just a horrible thing, especially if it's a long term rehab, just like it was last year. 
you feel for the guy. I don't know if he was going to make the 53-man roster, but he was at least an option and someone that they invested a draft pick in. So that is now out of out of the picture if it is indeed a long-term injury. And anytime an air cast comes into the situation, probably not a good thing. Air cast plus a cart, yeah, probably not a good thing. Looked ugly too. So that's one of those replays that I, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little squeamish when it comes to injuries. I don't really I'm not I'm not one of those guys that likes to watch them back. But yeah, that's that's not one I'm gonna go back and watch. After him, I think their lone bright spot at offensive tackle was Ryan Vandemark, who is a un, an undrafted rookie in 2022, got cut by the Colts. The Bills signed, signed him to their practice squad, and he's done some really nice things throughout camp. It wasn't perfect against the Colts. I thought he was better against the Steelers, and his overall push to the 53-man roster is getting stronger by the day in in my mind. Like, to me, he is outperforming. He outperformed Tommy Doyle. And he's outperforming the other guy that, that I haven't mentioned yet, and that's David Quesenberry. For the second game in a row, the Bills put Vandemark in the game before Quesenberry. And I think that's notable. I thought maybe the first game, it was just like, a, hey, let's get this guy some more reps. But doing it twice in a row and Quesenberry not even being out with the second offensive line unit as it came out, having those reps for Vandemark and Tommy Doyle instead, I think that could be a notable signal. And then Quesenberry, in one of his first few reps, promptly let up a sack out wide. It's just... More of the same. Like they trust they they trust his experience and they trust that he knows the scheme and everything like that, but the performance is severely lacking. And to me, when you have all of these question marks and your best possible backup alternative is a guy who spent the entire year on your practice squad the prior season was an undrafted guy in 2022. Something's got something's got to give here. Like I just don't know how you go into the season with David Quesenberry and Ryan Vandemark as your two backup offensive tackles if that's how they even do it. Like maybe they only go with with Quesenberry. Not a conducive situation. So, the one thing I brought up in my post-game observations or my post-game takeaway, sorry, um over at the Athletic was the idea of Jason Peters. And it's funny because he's 41 years old, but even at 41, it feels like it would be a legitimate upgrade. And I don't even know if he could be a swing tackle. Like maybe he's only a left side guy. They, they could they could try him at right tackle. Who knows? But they just need some sort of steadying hand and and he is the path of least resistance to where you don't have to give up an asset or or a draft pick or something to get an offensive tackle because a lot of teams are looking for offensive tackles 
So maybe it's one of those where that could be a potential answer. You know, I don't know if Bean would actually go through with it. I do know that they have signed a, an older offensive tackle in the past in Ty Inseki, which, by the way, he is a free agent. But, yeah, I don't know if they would go into the 40s. You never know, though. Could be a nice little poetic ending to Jason Peters' career to finish it off where, where it all started, especially with a team that's trying to win the Super Bowl this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So offensive tackle, I did not mean to spend whatever this is, the first 20 minutes of the show. I've, we've got a lot more to get to, and I'll have to be more brief on it, but that's that's how important of a conversation this is. Because it's just, from top to bottom, an issue. And I could see this being a very frustrating thing for the Bills, for Josh Allen, for Ken Dorsey, for Sean McDermott, for a lot of the season if they don't do something. So now it shifts over to Brandon Bean's office to try and figure this out because they've now lost two depth options, one of whom could have pushed Spencer Brown for a starting job in Brandon Shell if Spencer Brown didn't play the way that they needed him to. But now that's gone. Now you are locked in with Spencer Brown as your right tackle unless you go out and you find someone. So, Brandon Bean has until the start of the regular season to, to find something like that. All right, let's let's uh, move on from there. I think we need to have a little bit of a Kair Elam conversation here. And it just feels like Every time that the Bills give him an ample chance to take the job and sprint with it, he gives it back. His game against the Steelers, I thought, was not good. Was slow to react to some things in coverage. Had the penalty called on him that in the end zone that gave the Steelers three more chances to punch in the ball for a touchdown from the one. And for really the first time we have seen perhaps just where Kair Elam is standing in the eyes of the coaching staff in terms of needing work. 
late in the game. And now, the way their rotation pattern went, if you if you weren't keeping track yourself, Dane Jackson started the game with Tredavious White. He played the first two defensive series. One of those defensive series was one play, which is a 25-yard touchdown pass to Pat Fryermuth. The next defensive series, the third defensive series, first team defense still out there, Tredavious White still out there, Christian Benford entered the lineup for Dane Jackson. The fourth defensive series, first team defense still out there, Tredavious White still out there, Kair Elam gets out there. So he was the last of the three to get on the field. And then did not play well. After the fourth series, the second team defense, for the most part, started to filter in. The only ones that that kind of hung out there were uh, Tyrell Dotson, who's still fighting for a job, which we'll get into. And I think maybe a defensive lineman or two that would rotate in with the first team defense. But that was really it. And then it was Elam and Benford. But the interesting part is that for the final defensive series of the third quarter, they took Benford out. His day was done. They've seen enough. And it's not as though he got more reps than than Elam. It was basically about even with Elam. Rather than take Elam out, just the same thing with Deion Dawkins. Rather than take Elam out, they trotted him out there with a hybrid second and third team defensive unit. The boundary corner on the other side was Alex Austin, the seventh round rookie. Their seventh round draft pick and rookie this year. Other names on the field at the same time as Kair Elam. Cameron Klein, defensive end. Kendall Vickers, defensive tackle. Cortez Broughton, defensive tackle. Kingsley Jonathan, defensive end. Shane Ray, defensive end. Dean Marlowe, safety. These are all guys that have spent basically the entire summer on the third team and sometimes rotating into the third team. That is not exactly what you're looking to see from your 2022 first round pick in the second preseason game. Maybe they just felt like he needed work, but that's that's a statement in itself. He's running out of time to win the job because eventually they're going to move on. Not maybe not from the roster entirely entirely, but from him being a piece of the conversation as to who's going to start. Maybe they just go with Dane Jackson. Maybe they just go with a Dane Jackson, Christian Benford combo. But and Benford wasn't perfect. He had a defensive pass interference penalty as well. I don't think Jackson was perfect either. But Elam just continues to let him down a little bit. And it's an interesting thing to to think about. I remember in the offseason, I think it was in June, I put up a potential trade candidates article. And I put Kyrie Elam on that list because the way things were trending in the spring, I I don't know if they were convinced that he was going to be their starter. 
seem, and the way they were talking, it was very much an open competition at cornerback, and that's what it's proved to be. And Elam has not stepped forward the way that they would have wanted him to. And back then, the reaction to me putting Elam on that list was, you know, not great. But I get, I got it. I understood. It was the first round pick from literally a year ago. People wanted to see him get another opportunity. And he, they have given him opportunities. It now comes down to a, at what point do you have a conversation as to, do you think about moving him? I probably think that they wouldn't just because good depth to have and, you know, it would, it would kind of leave you a bit more thin at the boundary cornerback position. Because you have Tredavious White, Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, and then that would be it. Then you'd be keeping a guy like Alex Austin, and I don't think that they want to do that. So my, my gut is telling me that they won't trade him, even if they aren't satisfied. And even though this would be the top of his potential trade return value before, you know, let's say he doesn't play considerably in, in this upcoming season, then his trade value goes down considerably next offseason. But I think they value the depth and maybe the potential as opposed to cutting bait. The only thing I would say that could change that is if they can somehow flip Elam for an offensive tackle. Because that is that is a dire situation. Like, let's say team's a little bit better on the offensive line. They've got some offensive tackle depth that they like. Maybe they're weaker at cornerback and want to take a shot. I could see that maybe being a plausible scenario, but... Still, I probably veer toward them hanging on to Elam and just seeing how the year plays out. But still, the fact that the trade the trade piece is still kind of in the brain based on what we've seen through the summer is not an encouraging sign for the for the Bills and where they are at their cornerback position. If I had to guess I think Dane Jackson probably starts the year just because he's the safest option. And maybe Christian Benford eventually takes that job. You know, can't rule out Elam maybe figuring it out, but it's not looking great right now. On the positive side for the Bills, Osiris Torrance looks like he's going to start the year at, at right guard. And that was, you know, when we talk about utilization, everything like that, and why it's important. Him being on the field for every single snap that Josh Allen was out there is the biggest piece of information from action that we've seen so far. That competition doesn't seem like a competition anymore. Osiris Torrance started last week at right guard. Ryan Bates really didn't play all that much of right guard in the first game. Second game, when he entered the game, it was at center after Josh Allen came out. He he got two snaps at right guard by my count, and that was with the second unit offensive line. 
it seems like they have made their decision based on the usage so far. And Torrance looked good against a pretty good defensive front. I was impressed by his pass blocking and his ability to deal with some different things that the Steelers do. So this one looks like he's going to be that guy to start the season barring injury. Unless Ryan Bates just has a ridiculous final preseason game, it's looking like Osiris Torrance is going to be the starting right guard, and that has to be such a relief for for the Bills for a lot of reasons because they saw him as a potential like you know a, like a like a late first round talent. They have struggled with their second round picks hitting over the last several years. And if he can walk in and be a locked-in starter for the next four years on a rookie deal, that would be humongous for this team. So Osiris Torrance looks like he could be a pretty good one for them and has definitely checked the boxes that they've needed to see for him to, to have a pretty good role like that. Some other quick quick things I'll get to from a positive perspective before I get before I get back into uh you know, a couple of other areas that they could, that uh, have stood out for maybe not so great reasons. Greg Rousseau, I thought, was was great. Played a lot of snaps at left defensive end. You know, looks quick, looks strong, looks healthy, more importantly. To me, it looks like Greg Rousseau is ready to pop. Um, And I would not be surprised if this year is the year that he has his true breakout to where we're seeing double-digit sack season, especially, you know, him combined with when Von Miller returns, whenever that is. But even with Leonard Floyd on the other side of the field, that was one thing that kind of stood out. They, They came out of the gates with Rousseau on the left and Floyd on the right, which I think is probably going to way they begin the season. Due respect to AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham, but you know Leonard Floyd's just just a different thing entirely. So I think Rousseau is going to have a really nice season in 2023 as long as he stays healthy. Um, on offense, wheels up for James Cook. If you listen to my spot on uh, the Athletic Football Show with Robert Mays, I did that this past week when Robert was in town. Always great chatting with Robert. Um, if you if you're looking for more of like a overall view of the Bills roster, I would encourage you to go check out this episode after this one. Um, But the one area that we really talked about was why I feel strongly that James Cook is going to have a huge role in this game. And this was before the, the preseason game against the Steelers. Now, the one caveat that I'll mention before before saying this, is that Damian Harris did not play. Still trying to get back from his knee injury that cost him about a week of time. But James Cook was out there almost every single snap with Josh Allen and only came out because he needed a breather. His role within this offense is going to be a big one, barring injury, at least in my mind. Because I don't see Damian Harris being as a great fit for what they want to do from a from a down-to-down basis 
Like if they need tough yardage, I, I could see Damian Harris getting out there or Latavius Murray getting out there. Still not convinced Damian Harris is, is the top backup for them this season. Maybe it's Murray, but there is a very large gap between James Cook and the second running back in my mind. So that's why I'm, I'm terming it. Wheels up for James Cook. And for my Buffalo Beat listeners out there who also play fantasy football, if he's kicking around in round seven or eight of your draft, and I'm fairly convinced his, uh, his ADP is going to go up based on what we've seen from a usage perspective, but if he's still kicking around around seven or eight of your draft and you need one, need a running back, don't overthink it. There's big upside there because I think he's going to be on the field a lot for a prolific offense. So, yeah, James Cook, he's going to have a huge role as long as he stays healthy. And then Dalton, Dalton Kincaid, I know everyone was excited to actually see him catch passes. Uh, he basically did what he's been showing every single day at, at training camp and in practices this summer. Has a chemistry with Josh Allen. They're not afraid to use him as the de facto third receiver in their 11 and a half personnel. Got some inline work with Josh Allen as the as the starting tight end because Dawson Knox um, missed the game due to a finger injury, but like just continues to check boxes for the Bills. And he's going to be, at least to me, a significant contributor in his rookie season. And they surely need it because some of their, like, Kair Elam comes to mind from from last year and how he's kind of, like, not really in the picture or struggling to be in the picture as a starter. Kincaid has done everything they could have asked for. Same way with Osiris Torrance. Even though Torrance started a little bit slower than Kincaid, both of these guys are on an upward trajectory towards a big role early on. And, And yeah, Kincaid... I would not be surprised if he winds up being a 50 to 60% snap guy this season. And that's saying something for a rookie pass catcher within their offense. He's just natural, naturally talented, great route runner, great hands, can make people miss, has shake, can get yards after catch. I mean, Going to be a mismatch for linebackers. Going to be a mismatch for safeties. Going to be a mismatch mismatch for for nickel corners. I think they've got a good one in Dalton Kincaid. Some other uh, not-so-great things for the Bills, after I just threw on some, some positives from the game. Middle linebacker, Tyrell Dodson has allowed this competition to become a competition again. He should have, you know, if if things went according to plan for him, because Terrell Bernard's late week injury, hamstring injury ahead of the Colts game, Tyrell Dodson should have taken the job and been the starting middle linebacker. That, that was, there was every opportunity there for him to do so, but he struggled against the Colts. Things got a little heated for a couple of days during practice, during the week. 
And Dodson was a common common element to those. These things happen, so I don't want to go too overboard with it. But things were hot <laughs> at uh, at those practices, and Dodson was right in the middle of it. And then on Thursday, Sean McDermott basically said he needed more out of the uh, out of the middle linebacker job from what they have seen. He said, quote, there's room for improvement, incited communication, leading the defense, running the defense, and said, that's an area of concern right now. And the one thing we noticed in in the Colts game was that A.J. Klein bumped ahead of Balen Spector for second team middle linebacker reps. So that's why... I asked a question about AJ Klein in the in that same press conference just a couple of minutes after Sean McDermott said that about uh about the middle linebacker competition from what they've seen from the starting pieces. And what he said about AJ was, quote, I think the piece I like about what AJ does in particular is some of the things I mentioned earlier, alluding to, you know, the struggles of that. Like you know, leading a defense, execution, things of that nature. He went on to say, quote, AJ's done that in the past. He leads. He communicates well. He knows what we want to get done. And I think those are three important areas to basically being the coach on the field that we need. He's mature. He's been around the NFL and this defense for quite some time. So obviously there's a lot of trust and faith in him. Klein is 32 years old. Klein does not run well. Anymore, He didn't run well when they first signed him. But they know they can trust him. And Dodson struggles in coverage. I think he's really good at... He's a really good run defender. But if he's so downhill all the time, he just gets... He gets taken advantage of by opponents. And that's a part of his... What he needs to improve upon. And it just hasn't happened quickly enough. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So Klein took first team reps. Dodson got the first two defensive series. Klein got the second two defensive series with the first team unit. They both played well into the second half. This thing is wide open between those two as long as Terrell Bernard is is injured. But the way that things are trending, I would not be surprised if A.J. Klein is is the starting middle linebacker to open up. If Terrell Bernard can't go, and maybe they're just 
in kind of a holding pattern until Bernard gets back. Because right now, it's looking like he might be their best option. Because Dodson has not done enough. We'll see how this how this practice week goes, and certainly those two guys will continue to battle for time if that's the way that it that it comes out. But and we'll also have to see if Bernard is ready for the start of the regular season. Maybe that's the case. I could definitely see Terrell Bernard as soon as he's healthy being the guy there. But in the interim, don't rule out AJ Klein. It could happen, even though he's 32 years old. And the sneaky thing to monitor based on AJ Klein's improvement upon the depth chart. I think Balen Spector might be a sneaky cut candidate. Because I don't know that the Bills, the way that I always viewed their linebacker position is that they could cut AJ Klein and bring him back to the practice squad pretty easily. Maybe they still do that. But if they're looking at him to potentially start week one, they're not cutting him and putting him on the practice squad. And I don't think they would keep seven linebackers. You've got Bernard, who's on. Dodson, who's on. Milano, who's on. Dorian Williams, who's looked really good as a backup outside linebacker. He's on. Tyler Matikiewicz has a lot of guaranteed money. And they love him on special teams. So he's on. Are you really keeping seven linebackers just to keep Balen Spector? I think he's a guy you could probably get back on the practice squad as a seventh-round pick in 2022. Buried on the defensive depth chart now. Third-team middle linebacker by a mile. So keep an eye on that one. I didn't even get into backup quarterback uh, all that much. Matt Barkley imploded. Kyle Allen looked better, but... Similarly to what we saw from Matt Barkley, it was against like the bottom of the defensive roster. Barkley went up against the bottom of the Colts defensive roster. Allen went against the bottom of the Steelers defensive roster. I'm still unconvinced that their backup quarterback is on the roster right now. Ken Dorsey was complimentary and said, you know, it's close, but it's not for it's close because they're both doing good things. So I thought, okay, maybe maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. And then I see the what we saw against the Steelers. I'm like, okay. Combo that with the Colts game. It's like, if you're Brandon Bean, you're looking at that and go, man, if Josh goes down, is there even a shot that they win a game? Which is why that could be a spot he looks to improve still. I mean... One of Kyle Allen, probably, based on what we saw, probably Kyle Allen still has the chance to say, in, in the Bears game, go, all right, this is this is my job. But it's tough. Like, I don't know how you can trust what you see to put the team in a position to win. Especially when there's some other jobs out there where there could be an odd man out 
in the quarterback room. Like I mentioned San Francisco last week and the potential of Sam Darnold. It's looking like Sam Darnold is probably going to be the backup. Do the Bills have a Trey Lance conversation? It's probably not what they're looking for because he doesn't look ready. But it's a an interesting buy low situation. So maybe they maybe they trade for Trey Lance, cut Kyle Allen, put him on the practice squad, and if something happens to Josh Allen, then maybe they and Lance isn't ready. Maybe they do the call up from the practice squad with Kyle Allen. Maybe that's a route. I would probably think not, but never say never. The other two spots to consider when looking at depth charts across the league, Houston. Case Keenum, who was the Bills' backup last year, is the third string quarterback at the moment behind both C.J. Stroud and Davis Mills. Maybe they have a bit of a reunion. They don't have to worry about someone learning the playbook. Because they know he knows it. Not the greatest option, but probably better than what you have. But still would. Case Keenum want to come back. He's a Houston guy. He fit in well to the room last year. And that That's one that feels like the strongest possibility. And the other one is the team the Bills just played, the Steelers. They've got Kenny Pickett. They've got Mitchell Trubisky. I think they would entertain the idea of trading Mason Rudolph. And Mason Rudolph is someone that the Bills did a lot of pre-draft homework on in 2018 and someone they liked. Because if they struck out with the top-tier quarterbacks, they ended up not, of course. They wound up trading up for Josh Allen, as we all know. But if they wound up striking out, I think they would have had a very interesting decision at the, the 22nd overall pick. I think Mason Rudolph could have been in the conversation there. So maybe that's a that's an opportunity for them to see what's there. Maybe a, a potential long-term backup situation because they liked him in the pre-draft process. But he would need to learn the playbook, and that's that's not the greatest, especially this close to the season. Still, I he's he's the one that kind of stands out like, oh, maybe maybe there's something there. So those are three situations to monitor as as we get closer to cut down day. Wide receiver found their usage and not Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. I'm talking about wide receivers three through 13 found their usage. Very interesting. Three players did not play a single snap. That was that was Marcel Aitman. Desmond Patman and Isaiah Coulter. Second straight week that Isaiah Coulter did not play a single offensive snap. Probably not good. Patman has been like the fourth string X receiver. Probably not a good thing. Marcel Aitman played a bit last week. Did not play at all. Maybe they're, they're hiding him. He, he did some nice things in camp. Practice squad potential, but him not playing at all, probably not a good thing. Above him, Tyrell Shavers, I thought, um, played pretty well. Brian Thompson flashed to me. He was uh, he, he played slot receiver 
a bunch against the Steelers, made a couple of really nice hand catches, and someone with some practice squad potential. But the most interesting stuff, and Keyshawn Johnson got in there for a bunch of snaps. I think he's someone that they could they could roster on the practice squad. But the most interesting stuff came in the cluster of Trent Sherfield, Deontay Hardy, Khalil Shakir, Justin Shorter, and Andy Isabella. Sherfield, the way that they used Sherfield, Hardy, and Shakir signaled to me that Khalil Shakir is fifth on the depth chart. And I don't know if he can dig his way out of there. He did not take a single snap against at, at slot receiver, only took two snaps total with Josh Allen on the field. Not a great sign. And there could even be some potential to be an inactive at the start of the year for Shakir, especially if like Justin Shorter is going to be a special teams guy for them. Probably not the best thing, the best consideration heading into his second season. And where he wants to be, but because of the potential that they thought he had, but it just it just has not come to fruition this summer, and they need to see more. And they've been getting more out of guys like Sherfield and Hardy. Sherfield played by my count seven snaps with with Josh Allen. Deontay Hardy played by my count nine snaps with Josh Allen. Hardy was their primary slot receiver. Sherfield played both the Z and the X position. We have not seen him in a game setting play the X position. Subbed in for Gabe Davis a couple of times. So that to me makes Sherfield because we know he can play slot receiver. We know he can play Z. Now we know he can play X in their, in their offense. And we know that the bills also like to move Stefan Diggs to slot receiver. Occasionally when the bills have are in 11 personnel, true 11 personnel, Trent Sherfield looks like to me, the safest bet to be that third receiver. When they're looking for a more traditional slot, receiver and having Diggs and Davis on the outside, maybe that's where Deontay Hardy comes into the equation. But they are third and fourth in some fashion on the wide receiver depth chart. Justin Shorter, I think with this preseason breakout game, and I know he played a ton into the second half, I think it's because they wanted to see if he could make some plays. And he responded really well. I think he has improved a lot since the first time we saw him into the spring to where he is right now. He has been a lot more consistent with his hands. He's playing a lot bigger, a lot closer to his body type than when they first got him. And that type of improvement combined with his special team's potential and also the fact that he's on the first year of a four-year deal and just had the touchdown catch at the at the end of that game. I don't know if that's going to be one of those things where Brandon Bean wants to risk it and put him on waivers. I think there's too much upside, even if it's for special teams alone. I think there's too much upside there for them to to move on from him because he does even have some short-term value as, as a special teams contributor. Because if they... They make Khalil Shakir inactive. Justin Shorter is pitching in on, on special teams immediately. So I think Shorter, what we saw against the Steelers, has him 
locked in for the roster, at least in my view, unless he does something to completely throw up on himself against the Bears. I just cannot see Brandon Bean giving up on him. Maybe I'm wrong, but my gut is telling me he's going to be good. Then Andy Isabella is the one that everyone talked about heading into the week. There's It seems like there's a receiver every single year. It's kind of like this, but he does have a good draft pedigree. Hasn't been a consistent contributor, even with that draft pedigree. Only played seven snaps to my count. And I wonder if that was intentional. He had the one 19-yard reception. But I wonder if it was intentional. Because they're going to struggle to keep seven receivers. And I know that they like what Andy Isabella has done in all of these practices. How well he has acclimated himself to the playbook. In the same way that Khalil Shakir is kind of being phased out from getting slot reps within a game, because this is now the second straight game that Khalil Shakir did not take any slot receiver reps. Maybe to them, Isabella can be that counter if something happens to Deontay Hardy or, you know, they don't have the flexibility to put Stefan Diggs in, inside at slot receiver at all. think they would like the option to have him on the practice squad. They do not, I believe, let me let me just double check on this. I believe they do not have to subject, subject Andy Isabella to waivers. Yes, he is considered a vested veteran, so he does not have to go through waivers. So maybe they think they hide him. Maybe that's just a way for teams to look past him, not sign him to the active roster. They can get him back to the practice squad and basically having their seventh receiver that they would have kept on the active roster had they had a spot without using an actual spot. I believe that could be part of the motivation to only give him seven snaps and then immediately sub in Brian Thompson for him. Thought that was very interesting. So, yeah, those that are hoping for Isabella to make the 53-man roster, I think that took a hit just because if they intended to keep him, they would have mixed him in with Josh Allen or they would have played him more because he would he would just been on the roster. But I think that his snaps might have been calculated. Last thing I'll get to before I I bid you all adieu, I just wanted to give some props to some defensive linemen because the way that the Bills handle their end of preseason games is they basically boil down their defensive line rotation to three guys. Three at defensive end, three at defensive tackle. And it gives them a lot of reps, a lot of time to show that they need to be on the practice squad, everything like that, but but it gives them, but it, it but it's a big workload because the Bills like to rotate a lot where the defensive linemen. But two of those six defensive linemen got hurt really early into this this end of game plan. Shane Rain 
Shane Ray, excuse me, suffered a hamstring injury. DJ Dale, the defensive tackle, got a back injury. That boiled it down to four players. And I thought maybe there was a chance that the Bills would get one of their um, second team guys back into the, the swing of things. Nope, was not the case. The rest of the way, basically the entire fourth quarter that the Bills defense was on the field, Defensive tackles Cortez Broughton, Kendall Vickers, and defensive ends Cameron Klein and Kingsley Jonathan played almost every single snap in the fourth quarter. Basically, I think it was the final 15 snaps total, and that's a lot for a big guy like these guys are. Especially with wanting to keep them fresh and... It's taking a lot out of you to be that physical on a snap-to-snap basis. Their conditioning is good because they're NFL players, but not as good as you know guys who are 50 pounds lighter that are playing in the defensive secondary or you know even at linebacker. So I just wanted to give some props to Broughton, Vickers, Klein, and Jonathan because those those four guys played a huge workload down the stretch. And, you know, I think they deserve some credit. I don't think it's going to – they're not – I don't think they're going to be on the 53-man roster. I think maybe one, possibly two of those four guys will make it to the practice squad. But, you know, it helped get the Bills through. And I, I think uh, Sean McDermott and the defensive staff will appreciate that. And, you know. Things, things like that, I like, I like shouting out every once again. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Plenty of things to think about heading into the Bears preseason game, which will be Saturday, the 26th at 1 p.m., another road game for the Bills. And that is the final time we'll see them. Will the starters play? We don't know. But what we do know is there are jobs still on the line. Backup quarterback, middle linebacker, boundary quarterback. Right guard seems decided. End of roster stuff. Offensive tackle, backup offensive tackle. Can these guys convince the Bills to not make a move? That's what's going to make this this weekend's game so intriguing to track. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. If you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat and subscribe to get all of my written work and certainly some some uh, some other, you know, what, whatever teams you're interested in. You can find plenty of features, analysis, everything like that over at The Athletic for, for whatever interests you this morning. All right. Thanks everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week. See you then.